You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I'm going to try my best to get through all of this. Um, haven't done a sleep update in a while, but just so you know, I haven't been. So if I start trailing off, um, and I know I trail off regularly anyways, but if it sounds like I'm talking in my sleep, just go ahead and shut the show off. Uh, just, Just ignore me. I know it's probably hard to tell sometimes when I go on my rants anyways, whether I'm actually awake or or what's going on. But we do have some uh, non-football but Packers news, so that's a little bit different. Two big life events for uh, two big Packers. That was stupid, I'm sorry. They are large, though. A.J. Dillon um, was apparently married. I don't know when this was. June 25th, there you go. So A.J. Dillon is officially a married man now. And Mr. David Bakhtiari is going to be a father. His wife posted on Instagram, I don't know the date, but roughly around the same time. So congratulations to those two guys. Sorry about your knee, David, but you're going to have to suck it up and get back to work because you got a kid coming now. I know that doesn't actually make sense because he's got more than enough money to spend the rest of his life at home with his family, but uh, we're going to pretend it makes sense, so let's just play along. In another NFL news, um, this segment may as well also be called The Bears Still Suck News. CBS Sports' Jordan Dejani writes, NFL bettors expect Bears to underachieve as Chicago most popular NFL underbet for 2022 season. Reading through it a little bit, it says, With training camp right around the corner and the NFL schedule having been finalized for weeks now, the betting markets for NFL win totals and other props has settled a bit. Win totals continue to be a popular bet, and it's fascinating to see where big money goes and the trends that materialize. One such trend centers around the Chicago Bears. According to Caesars Sportsbook, the Bears' under 6.5 wins prop has received the most money among any NFL team's under prop, with Chicago's win total, 95% of the total dollars wagered are on the under. That's unbelievable. Shockingly, 7 of the 12 largest under bets placed at Caesars are on the Bears. Chicago's under has attracted 67% more money than the next closest under, which is the Atlanta Falcons under five. This is amazing for several reasons. Not only is Vegas coming out and saying that the Bears are bad, right? It, it's not as though the Vegas is saying, you know, least likely to make the playoffs or whatever. We're not starting at a point of saying, are you a good football team, and then saying no. Vegas is coming out and saying, hey, they're going to be real trash. We're putting them at six and a half wins. We don't think they can even get to seven. So we'll put it at six and a half. What do you guys think? And all the money, everybody with money is like, no chance they're even getting to six and a half. I know and a half is impossible, but the point is six or less guaranteed. So we start with they suck, and then all the money says, no, I'm sorry, they're actually going to suck way worse than that. And the confidence level in their level of suck is through the roof, apparently. And I know nobody wants to hear it, but do you want to hear my theory as to why 
there is such a discrepancy? I think it's Fields. I think there's still too high of a general consensus that this guy is going to take a big leap. But I think when the, when the money comes out, which again is kind of why I like when we're talking about money, because it's easy to be a sports media person and just start throwing out nonsense. You can do whatever you want. Packers are going to win all the games. Packers are going to be terrible. Bears are good. Bears are bad. Fields is going to be great. Fields is going to be bad. You can you can pick your favorite guy. If, if you're a Justin Fields fan, if you're a Bears fan, you can come out and be like, it's going to be amazing. But you take $10,000, go find the biggest Bears homer, put ten grand on the line and say, are they going to get to seven wins or are they not going to get to seven wins? Now, granted, maybe their bias you know, runs so deep that they actually believe it. But the point is, people whose only motivation is I'm going to make some money, not I couldn't care less about these teams, these players, nothing. They don't have bias. And so the point is, I think when there's a big discrepancy like this, there's a bias somewhere. It's The point is 6.5 is an inflated number. Why is it inflated? The only reason to inflate the Bears is Justin Fields. It, that's it. And, and granted, that is the only reason to have faith in them. There is nothing else to look forward to if you're a Bears fan. I know I'm not a Fields fan based on what he did last year, but the only reason why the Bears would be any bit competent is Justin Fields. There's nothing else. So yeah, if they get 7, 8, 9, 10 wins, it's because Fields just absolutely blows up, which is possible. I'm, I'm not, not saying he can't, but again, the, the biggest reason I keep harping on this is because this is exactly what I've been saying the whole time. I, I don't care. There's been a lot of good players and a lot of bad players on all different teams. What I don't like is the discrepancies. And there has been a discrepancy there the whole time. And that's what's annoyed me. There's too much faith in the Bears. There's too much faith in Justin Fields. It's possible, but nobody's basing it on possible. They're making assumptions. Even even articles now, if you go and look at them, and, and you know people that are expected to make a big leap, Justin Fields is up there. It's just sort of assumed, right? Not Jordan Love, no impossible. He can't take a leap. He's terrible. Why is he terrible? Because we didn't like him to begin with. Packers shouldn't have taken him, so therefore he has to be a bad football player. Justin Fields, we all loved him. Uh, He went later than we thought, which doesn't mean he wasn't as good as we thought. No, it means it was a steal. Um, So, you know, great value, great steal, great player. It's going to be great. He has to take a leap. I just, I just, I just don't like it. So again, it makes me happy that number one, the Bears are expected to be bad, right? Caesars is like, I don't know, six and a half, right? Never know. Probably basing that on what they expect people to bet. They kind of expect people to think that that's a good number. And again, I bet if you went and talked to people not putting money on the line, they'd say, yeah, that sounds like a good number or even maybe over. But when you talk to people who are putting money on the line, nah, I don't know about all that. And really, what sense does it make? I mean, again, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, it's possible. Of course they could win six. Maybe they could win seven. Who knows? But they won six last year and are getting worse. Again, that's assuming there isn't some major improvement from Justin Fields. But even if there is, there's been so much backwards movement. So many people lost. And I know you got a new offensive scheme and all that. And maybe people just assume that's just going to fix everything. And hey, it did in Green Bay. Went out and got this uh, Shanahan guy and he implemented that and the quarterback got better and the whole offense got better and everything just got better so who knows but we also had you know Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley and and you know 
one of the best offensive lines in football. Any of that stuff ring a bell? The Bears are dealing with a you know second-year quarterback who was one of the worst in football last year. They have one of the worst wide receiver groups in football, if not the worst. They have one of the worst offensive lines in football, if not the worst. And they have a decent running back. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, ju- I, I'm just saying, if they won six last year, if I had to bet... I'd say they don't quite get to six this year. Certainly don't expect them to get to seven. Anyways, anyways, moving on to more Packersy stuff. Uh, shout out to Andrew in the Facebook group for pointing this out. He had commented on it, and then I went and found it. Yes, I'm still taking a social media break, but I have spies. By the way, highly recommended. There were some uh, pretty big news developments recently. Don't need to get into specifics, but you know, there's big news going on. I didn't even find out, for example, about that Supreme Court ruling until like the next day. And I saw it on the news during my lunch break, just on the TV. Like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and whatever the reactions and responses and everything else, I don't know. I have no idea. It's nice. Um, but anyways, there was an article written um, by Sayer Bedinger about Mr. Tyler Goodson. Tyler Goodson is a running back that we picked up as an undrafted free agent. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the undrafted free agents too much and probably should a little bit, so why don't we start here by highlighting Mr. Tyler Goodson. Um, He is a running back out of Iowa. One of the things I like about running backs in general uh, in terms of late round or undrafted free agents is it's one of the positions, it might even be my favorite position in terms of of late round. And this has always been the case. You can find good running backs anywhere. And we we have. We've seen that before. I mean, again, Aaron Jones was a a later round guy. Granted, most of the the super hyper elite guys are earlier round, but I mean, finding solid contributors, you can find them very readily. And and the, the crazy thing is you'll find some of the best running backs in the country that are end up going seventh round and undrafted, you know, uh, running backs with great statistics, great grades for major programs. And that just happens all the time. Now, granted, most of these guys, they, they come to Green Bay, we really like them, and then they just don't play very much. So there's clearly something lacking. But um, certainly somebody to get very excited about. Right out of the gate, the thing that stands out, although he's a smaller guy, which is kind of rare for the Packers. Um, you know, Packer fans, myself included, have for a long time, always really liked the idea of these smaller, shiftier, speedier guys. And it seems like the Packers never really went that route. You know, they want to get guys that can be all-purpose backs. If, if you can't handle everything, then we don't really want you out there. But um, five foot nine, 197 pounds, smaller guy. But if you look at his RAS, every other score is through the roof. His speed is elite. He had a 4-4-2 um, 40-yard dash. But even his splits were elite, his 20 and his 10. His composite agility grade graded out as elite with a 4.12 short shuttle, which is a 9 RAS score. A 6.763 cone, which is incredibly fast, scoring a 9.65. And then his explosion even is graded as great. Uh, 36.5 inch vertical, which scores an 8.2 out of 10. And his broad jump is 10.3, 10 foot 3 inches which scores an 8.58. So aside from his, his size, the guy hits every mark and then some. So we've got a guy on our team right now that, that is just a, you know, a human joystick. Fast, agile, all that stuff. Explosive, powerful. If you look at um, 
Kentley Platt posted on Twitter about him that he's the math bomb RAS guy. Just kind of giving a general overview, Tyler Goodson is a running back prospect in the 2022 draft class. He scored a 9.54 RAS out of a possible 10. He ranks 75 out of 1,624 running backs from 1987 to 2022. That's crazy. (laughs) That's pretty high. The article goes on to say that uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes run plenty of wide zone type of offense concepts that you see in the NFL today, which is why so many players coming from schools are coveted by NFL teams. Coming from this school are coveted by NFL teams. Obviously, the Packers are on that. He was the first true freshman in Iowa football history to lead the team in rushing yards. He was a two-time All-Big Ten selection for the Hawkeyes and proved his worth as a three-down back, rushing for 2,551 career yards while also catching 70 passes. Again, how in the world, at such a major program, does one of the better running backs, one of the more promising running backs in program history, two-time All-Big Ten, three-down back, 2,500 yards, 70 receptions, how in the world does this guy not get drafted? This is what I'm saying about, about these guys. It's crazy. But uh, looking at um, Tyler Goodson this past year, 70 overall grade, uh, 68 overall rushing grade. Um, he ran for, get this out of my way, 1,148 yards, six touchdowns, 4.5 yards per attempt. Um, he had 38 missed tackles forced, 2.3 yards after contact, 32 carries over 10 yards almost exclusively a zone runner, was targeted 38 times, caught 31 of those passes for 247 yards. Um, but I think the, the one stat that kind of stands out for me here is his breakaway percentage, 38.6%. So breakaway percentage is what percentage of the yards you got were on breakaway runs. And I don't know if that's 10 yards or 15 yards or what that is, but it just kind of gives a picture of what kind of a runner they are. To put that in perspective, if, if he were to have a breakaway percentage that high in the NFL, he would be the fourth highest. Rashad Penny, Jonathan Taylor, and Dalvin Cook are the only three that would have a higher percentage than that. But the other reason that stands out to me is that that's an area that the Packers are struggling. Um, Aaron Jones isn't terrible. He's actually 18th on the list at 25%. A.J. Dillon is one of the lowest on this list. But we talked about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and how pretty much in every single category, at least one of these two guys has you covered, if not both, you know, just as far as being the best running backs, receivers, blocking, you know, short yardage, receiving, if I didn't already say that. But the one area that neither of them is really super great at is these breakaways. Even though Aaron Jones is seen as kind of the the home run hitter of the two, and he certainly is, at least between these two, when you look at the total number of carries that end up going for big yardage, it's just not really what they do very often. And so in Goodson, you've got a true home run hitter. And it looks like it is 15 yards. But uh, Aaron Jones had eight carries of 15 yards or more. A.J. Dillon had four. It was at 11.2%. Tyler Goodson had 15. And again, that was 38.6% of his of his carries. So or not of his carries, excuse me, of of his total yardage. Now again, that that's kind of a kind of a skewed stat, and I, I almost wish they did do per carry as opposed to their yardage because it doesn't really give you a picture of how often they do it. It's just how many of their yards came on breakaways. The reason I don't like it is if you run the ball 100 times and 99 times you run for zero yards, and then you run once for 100 yards, your breakaway percentage is 100 percent. Wow, he's a huge breakaway runner. No, he only did it once. You know, it's 1% of his carries were breakaways and 100% of his yards. 
but he's definitely an electric player. Uh, he's he's an exciting guy, and it would be good to have someone like that on the roster. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of competition, and we're talking about the number three spot and, and the odds of him, first of all, winning the number three spot, and then second of all, getting any amount of uh, legitimate playing time is relatively low. But it would be kind of exciting. I mean, you look at his his games, and he's got week three, 153 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he's, he's just that kind of a guy. The week after was 57 yards, 3.2 yards per carry and zero touchdowns. So you, you take the boom and the bust. But I, I think the biggest hurdle for Tyler Goodson, as much as he's exciting and I think it'll be fun to watch in the preseason and all that kind of stuff, the biggest hurdle they're going to have is ultimately that number three back isn't just a number three. They're, they're not bringing in the third guy to come in and be like this this cool compliment that we can put in certain packages. They're bringing in the guy that they're saying if if disaster happens, if let's say Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon get hurt, this is the guy that has to, to be on. He, he's the guy. He's the number one guy. He has to understand the offense most thoroughly. He has to be an all-purpose back. He's got to be a receiver. He's got to be a blocker. He's got to be a runner. He's got to understand the checks and the calls and all that stuff. And so the odds that five foot nine, 197 undrafted free agent in 2022 Tyler Goodson is that guy is pretty unlikely. So um, we'll see, but that's just my thought. But either way, he's an exciting guy. It'll be fun to hear some reports about him in camp and be able to watch him in preseason and whatnot. But Again, I, I would put very low odds of him getting that number three running back spot. Anyways, uh, moving on from that, there's been some question about um, free agents for the Green Bay Packers. And one of the things that was brought up that kind of excited me a little bit, but not quite, was why don't we bring in Carlos Dunlap to uh, bolster our pass rush a bit? The reason I like it is because we've heard so much about wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. I haven't heard nearly as much about why don't we bring in somebody like we did with Whitney Merciless. Now, we can't bring him in because he retired, but I feel like with Carlos Dunlap, we're kind of on the right path a little bit. And to be honest, I, I do think it's bordering on a requirement. It's not, but you just hate to have a, a thing that's... You don't want to have this one thing that's going to prevent you from being everything that you can be. And I, I do worry a little bit about edge rush and, and that being sort of the the weak link. Now, I know we got Rashawn. I'm not talking about the, the upper end and the, the strengths of the group, and maybe Preston can, can replicate something close to what he did last year. But again, these guys are off the field a ton. And, um, you know, again, if, if, if you're telling me today that Preston is fine, there's no need to worry, and uh, Kingsley Inigbar is going to be a quality pass rusher, then never mind. But my concern is Rashawn is going to be great, Preston's going to regress, and there's really nobody else that you can rely on. That's the concern. And, and on top of that, if anything happens to Rashawn, I think the defense struggles. I mean, you have to have pass rush. I know we have a secondary and all that stuff, but you, you have to be able to bring it up front. And yes, there's the defensive tackles as well, but also remember, Kenny Clark's numbers as a pass rusher are not through the roof, and we don't know for sure that Devontae White comes in and just as a wrecking ball. These are all just kind of assumptions at this point. And so just a, a Whitney Merciless type signing would be kind of nice. And at first glance, Carlos Dunlap sort of makes sense. 33 years old, very experienced football player, um, 73 run defense grade, uh, 68 pass rush grade. He had 35 pressures, 
on 309 attempts, so he's over 10%. 10 sacks last season, so he had the sack numbers, which is what everybody cares about, but ultimately the, the pressures are decent. Assuming the guy doesn't want a billion dollars, why not? Well, I think the biggest concern, and, and, and maybe you can use them in different ways, but just because it says edge doesn't mean all edges are, are exactly alike. Carlos Dunlap is a 4-3 defensive end. He is a true hand-in-the-dirt, down defensive end. Now, maybe at this point in his career at 33 years old, you can teach him to stand up and rush, and it's not like he's never done it before, but he's just not really a fit. He was a fit in Cincinnati, where they use a 4-3 scheme, and then he goes to Seattle, where they use a 4-3 scheme. But I don't see him coming here and being able to, you know, stand up and rush off the edge. Now, maybe you could try to get creative and kick him inside, and then when we're in nickel and we're down anyways, you could utilize him in that way or whatever, but it just seems to be a little bit of a reach. Again, the guy's 35. There's no point in trying to teach an old dog new tricks. So, generally, I like the idea of finding a veteran somewhere. I think if you want a Carlos Dunlap that's a better fit, you might be looking at a guy like Justin Houston. And maybe I'm biased because I wanted us to grab Justin Houston way back when. In 2019, we ended up with Zadarius and Preston. But again, 33 years old, not as good of a run defender, but um, a stand-up outside linebacker, 77 pass rush grades, so he has a higher grade than Dunlap does. Doesn't have quite the sacks. He had six last year, but 40 pressures, 391 attempts, so he's at 10%. And the reality is his statistics are just better. I mean, you look at it and say he doesn't have the sacks, and actually his pressures are lower, but if you look at you know, true pass sets. If you look at win percentage, um, Carlos Dunlap is at 71st overall. Justin Houston's tied for 34th. He's tied with Brian Burns in win percentage, which is beating the guy in front of you. So if you're asking me, somewhat off the top of my head, who would I like as sort of a Whitney Merciless for 2022, depending on price, depending on health and all those things, I really like Justin Houston. And remember, Justin Houston had his career revived by a man named Mike Smith, the man who ended up coming over to Green Bay and teaching our guys how to play and all that kind of stuff. So in terms of coming over here and having a similar understanding of pass rush and all that kind of stuff to what Rashawn Gary and and Preston Smith have, I feel like it would be a really good fit. So that would be my preference. Again, I don't know what his asking price is. Maybe it's too high. Maybe there's injury concerns or other kinds of concerns. I don't know. But just with limited information that I have, that would be my preference. But um, got to kind of pick up the pace here. So why don't we take a break right here? Again, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So kind of an interesting tweet that went out yesterday. Um, I wish there was more context behind it. I don't exactly know what it means, but let's kind of rewind a little bit because there's sort of layers to this. Ian Rappaport tweeted something in response to a quote, which is in response to or used in an article. But there was an article written by the 33rd team, which seems like it's, it's... Every once in a while, there's like a site or something that pops up that you just can't get away from. And you can tell like it's just it's just a thing now, like it's a big thing. I don't know if somebody with big money kind of went into this or got connections or what. But I've gone on here. It's never really all that interesting. But for whatever reason, the 33rd team is this big thing now. But they wrote an article. It says, Tearing the NFL's best cornerback duos in 2022. The NFL Insiders of 33rd Team tier, let me try that again, the NFL Insiders of 33rd Team tier out each NFL team's top cornerback duo into separate tiers from tier 1 to tier 7. After tiering, feels weird saying tier and tiering, after tiering each NFL starting quarterback, their supporting weapons, and the league's best offensive lines, we continue our transition to the defensive side of the ball here. So anyways, tier 1 consists of a team that have two cornerbacks who each could be CB1 on other teams. All four of these teams possess the ability to play man-to-man, in-zone coverage, create turnovers, and lock down a high-end receiver. So that is the criteria of being in Tier 1. They put, as they said, four teams in here. Baltimore Ravens with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Miami Dolphins with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. Philadelphia Eagles with Darius Slay and James Bradbury. And the Green Bay Packers with Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. Then there is the quote. They put a quote down beneath that. Quote is from former Pro Bowl defensive back Samari Roll. It says, I think Green Bay is the best overall with Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes only going to make his second season and Douglas look like a different player being coached by Jerry Gray. So 33rd team took that quote and made it the quote of their article. Ian Rappaport retweeted that and said, such a good breakdown. First of all, I I, want to... As much as I want to just let it be and be like, this is a great thing, I don't know what, again, I don't know what's going on with 3013, but it, it also lists itself or bills itself as a site full of insiders, which is what Ian Rappaport is. So the fact that he's pumping up this article and trying to lend it credence by saying all these things, it may just be a lot of nothing where Ian Rappaport's just trying to draw attention to this website. But anyways, he says such a good breakdown, which it's not a breakdown, it's just a list. But anyways... The Packers' D should take a leap, not only with Jair Alexander healthy, but coaches view Eric Stokes as a budding star primed for a big year. Stokes' continued emergence should be something to watch. So again, I don't know necessarily how much stock to put in that, but the other thing that that kind of is upsetting is I don't know who he's talking about. Is he talking about Packers coaches? Is he talking about other coaches around the league that he's talked to? A little bit of both? And the reason I think it matters is because it... It may just be fluff in terms of, you know, Ian's talked to uh, Packers coaches and they're like, yeah, we think he's going to be a good player. Well, of course, you guys drafted him. You're coaching him. He's your guy. Of course you think he's going to be good. I think after one year coming out and playing fine as a rookie, you're going to be like, I don't know. He kind of seems like he's stupid, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, I want to put a lot into this because I don't I don't know. I, I watched a guy that played fairly well. In fact, he played a lot better than expected for a rookie. But he also didn't play at, at elite levels, so I, I don't know what to, to put into Eric Stokes. I don't know how, how high he's going to fly, but I know his ceiling is through the roof. And I, I even compared him to you know guys like um, 
you know, Rashawn and just in terms of having that, that really sky high ceiling and, and, you know, if he continues to, to grow and to learn, the sky's the limit. And so I, I want desperately to put Ian Rappaport's words on a pedestal and believe that the people that know, whether that be Packers coaches or coaches around the league that have just watched the guy, have talked to Ian Rappaport, have seen with eyes of coaches as opposed to me as, as the eye of a guy who has, you know, a PFF subscription and, you know, watched him play a little bit. I want to believe that those guys who really know what they're looking at watched Stokes and said, dude, this guy is going to be a star. That's what I want to believe, and I, that's what I want him to be saying right here. But the point is, again, I don't know. But either way, even if Ian Rappaport's just trying to puff this piece up, what is the piece? It's a piece of written by insiders, whatever that means. You know what? Let me look it up because it's annoying me. So the founders of the site are Mike Tannenbaum, who is a former GM of the New York Jets and former EVP of the Miami Dolphins, and Joe Banner, former president of the Philadelphia Eagles and former CEO of the Browns. So <laughs> there you go. I think it's safe to say that they are, in fact, insiders. It's also understandable why Ian Rappaport would be, and every other person in the industry would be pumping this up, because if you're an insider, you want to be working with guys like Mike Tannenbaum and Joe Banner. Jeez. This is contributors Bill Polian, Dean Blandino, Greg Cosell, Joe Banner, Mark Trestman, Tom Lawan, Doug Peterson... Wade Phillips. Okay, all right, never mind. The I just read the article titles and I'm like, these. This is not. There's nothing interesting here. But um, at least the people writing them are are interesting. Imagine having a site with this much firepower and you're still cranking out articles like five offensive lines that must improve, grading every Tennessee Titans position group. I mean, it's it's no different than like fan sided, you know. <laughs> Top 25 players under 25. I mean, it's just it's getting nauseating at this point reading the same stupid stuff every single day and by the way the people writing all the articles are not like bill poley and it's like an 18 year old dude named luke so I, I don't i don't understand this site at all but anyways it's worth highlighting i think the other really interesting thing here is not only is it budding star which is you could just leave it at that and and move on if you don't actually know and you're kind of just throwing out some fluff they think that someday he might be really good but he added primed for a big year, as in not only do we think he's going to be good, we think it starts this year, which kind of does make sense because, again, if you're expecting some more slow growth, you don't expect him to come out of the gate as hot as he did. And again, that's that's relative to being a rookie because most rookies are not good, and that includes corners. Most corners, most rookies are not very good. I think he was the second best rookie corner. I don't really have time to be looking this stuff up, but something like that just right out of the gate, you know, and, 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 and the thing is that <laughs> the crazy part about it is the Packers get guys that you expect to have more third year leaps than first and second year, you know, booms or whatever, because they, they get the guys that are presumed second round grades, but they're high athleticism and they're, you know, they, they need to grow or whatever, which maybe isn't Stokes case necessarily because he went to Georgia and all that, but Obviously, it's it's really really high on athleticism, but there's some some work that needs to be done. There's a reason he wasn't a top ten prospect. He was expected to go in the mid second round, and when the Packers took him, like every other pick that they take, everybody scoffed, like Quay Walker and on and on and on and on and on. Took him too early. Took him too early. Took him too early. Of all the corners that got taken, Stokes was better, aside from maybe the guy that went first. And again, you just don't expect that. You you would I would expect. A guy like Stokes is a long-term investment. 
Maybe he doesn't have a great first year, but he starts to grow. And as he grows, if he can reach his full potential, he's going to be better than everybody else because there's just nobody like him to be that big and that long and that fast. It's just such a rare thing. And so again, when when he comes out and he has that good of a first year and he gets that much time under his belt, uh, which is rare for Packers because they, they like to let people grow slowly, but due to injury, he was forced into that role. And so this is a guy who had like a full season, basically, of being a starting cornerback, and he, he handled himself well, and now he's going into year two with a much better understanding of how things work, and all that athleticism is still there. So anyways, it's it's uh, something to hopefully get excited about. Speaking of something to get excited about, one of the uh, one of the guys that I liked the most in this entire draft class that we don't talk about um, a ton because, I don't know, mid-round guy, not necessarily expected to get a lot of starting time, et cetera, et cetera. But that's Zach Tom. And um, many people already know about this, but for those that don't, I wanted to kind of highlight it. Zach Cruz kind of reminded me of it with the article he wrote, but it says, performance against Jermaine Johnson lured the Packers to offensive lineman Zach Tom. Now you might remember, or maybe you don't, but uh, Jermaine Johnson was one of the top pass rushing prospects in the draft. He ended up going kind of late in the first round, but still a first round prospect. Zach Tom, certainly not a first round prospect. And and one of the things that uh, scouts and, and that like to look at coaches, et cetera, et cetera, when they're looking at um, offensive linemen in particular is watch them when they're going up against really good pass rushers, right? Because it's easy to beat up on the little guys, but if you have a big matchup, that's the one you really want to hone in on. Um, that's probably going to be your most important evaluation. And so when you're looking at Zach Tom, the biggest evaluation he had was up against Florida State going against Jermaine Johnson. And so Butkiss, when asked about it, said one of the big things that we watched uh, Zach was the game versus Florida State and blocking the defensive end who they had highly rated. He did a great job. Went on to say, how did he do it? He's competitive. He's smart. He's athletic. He can move. He can bend. All three of those things uh, we look for in our offensive linemen. That's how he did it. And again, many of you may remember this, but for those that don't, he played 51 pass block snaps against Florida State, did not allow a single pressure. Not only did he shut down Johnson, but he shut down the entire Florida State defensive line because eventually they moved Johnson off of Tom because he just couldn't beat him. That's incredible. The fact that we were able to get a guy, and also remember when I was going through SIS, the reason I first started getting excited about Zach Tom is because I looked at um, SIS, they had this draft site. And, you know, they kind of just broke down all the different stats and everything else. And I'd never even heard of Zach Tom. And I'm going through it. And here's Zach Tom at the top of this list. I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't know who that is. But then I got to the guys I actually cared about, Tyler Linderbaum and all the guys that I wanted the Packers to draft. And I go to the next stat. It's Zach Tom again. I'm like, okay, that's random. I don't know who this guy is. but And then I get to my guys. And then I went through all these different things. And Zach Tom was just consistently either number one, number two, number three, number four. He's at the top of all these lists. And so it just kind of put him on my radar um, that based on statistics and, and some of the metrics that SIS uses, at least, Zach Tom was one of the top offensive linemen. I think they might have had him at a tackle position, but still one of the uh, top offensive linemen in the entire draft. He was uh, second in total points per play, second in total points per game, uh, number one in blown block percentage, number one in pass blown block percentage. That's tough to say. Uh, Total points per run block, he was number two. Um, Rushing blown block percentage, he was number one. 
a positive percentage when run behind. So how often when a running back ran behind you, did you have a positive play? He ranked seventh. So, I mean, starting in like the second round, I'm looking at Zach Tom like, mm, I wouldn't mind him here. So third round goes by and all these rounds keep going by and we end up getting him where we got him. And um, needless to say, I was pretty excited about it. Speaking of, you know, for, for looking at SIS, you know, they, they had their rankings based on, on uh, these different guys. They actually had, hilariously enough, so if, if you look at it, and I know we already know that we got some guys that are considered steals, but this is just kind of interesting to me. First of all, they have Devontae Wyatt as their top prospect that we drafted. The second highest graded prospect that we drafted was not Quay Walker. It was not Christian Watson. It was Kingsley Enigbar. And I still am not sure that I'm saying the man's name properly, but um, they had him graded as their 39th best prospect in the draft. They had him as a borderline first-round pick. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm not saying SAS is right and the entire NFL is wrong necessarily, but it's crazy to have someone that highly rated. Beyond that, they had uh, Quay Walker next at 45th overall. The next highest-graded player that they had was not Christian Watson. It was Rashid Walker. They had Rashid Walker rated as their 93rd. Now, Christian Watson they had at 101st, so they're not a big fan, but Rashid Walker at 93rd had him as the 7th best offensive tackle on their board. We got him in the 7th round. So, again, I tend, tend to default to he got drafted where he's worth. So the, you know, SAS, PFF, the, you know, Internet scouts, all that kind of stuff are wrong and the NFL is probably right but it still goes to show there, there's obviously a lot there and I think Kingsley probably gets me the most excited of the group because you know a seventh round offensive tackle that's stiff or whatever is, is not maybe the most promising thing but one of the most dominant pass rushers in college football who all the evaluators are looking at and probably would not have been very upset if we had gotten him in the second round that gets me a little bit excited Anyways, I, I have a lot more to cover, but I am just flat out out of time. It's too late of a start, so we'll have to save that stuff for tomorrow. Um, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.